Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, with me, of course, the name of a game that reminds me of something cute to my adorable critter that you can't feed after midnight that Dad picked up in Chinatown, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Hello. Hello. That was a tongue twister. I know. I threw in that extra comma with the d- dad got that in China. extra comma made the enunciation feel strange, but I did not lose it. I, I know. Well, I did that on purpose because I wanted the enunciation to feel strange. <laughs> thanks babe sorry my wife brought me coffee i'm gonna cut that i mean you can say thanks babe to me too i don't mind. i do say thanks babe to you all the time always welcome you always just didn't bring me coffee right now so you did not warrant a thanks babe from me at the point at that point in time you know at some point i'm gonna get a chance to come up and visit you and when i do i'm bringing coffee yeah rota's just because of what you just said rota's over right why haven't you come back up you're gonna come up i know i had tickets and everything i know Anyway, we are we are so freaking off topic right now. So far, far off topic. <laughs> yeah, that tracks for us. That's kind of normal. That's kind of normal. Sorry, we missed an episode. That was actually my bad. Ah, uh, the family got the Rona. For what? I have been absolved. Yeah, yeah. We we caught the Rona. All of us. It was great. Uh, I think it started in one of my boys. Actually, one of the boys. Yeah, he may have gotten it too. They were they had a little bit of sickness for like a day or two. And then the wife and I caught it and we were down for like a week and then our daughter caught it and she was like kind of down for a week. She was like, yeah, when I wake up, I kind of have a headache, but it goes away. And I'm like, oh, but uh, must be nice. I got on that science. They gave me some of that Paxlovid because apparently I'm fat and I, that thus I'm at risk. Uh, that was actually kind of like magic. OK, so two things they don't tell or one thing, one big thing, one Big, gross thing they do not tell you about Paxlovid. Okay. It sounds like clickbait on the internet. I'm not going to lie. Um, it puts this weird taste in your mouth after about like 30 minutes to an hour after you take it. It's not a pleasant taste in the slightest. And what's worse is they tell you to take it every 12 hours. So I take it right before I go to bed. And so like during the day, because the, the bad taste would only last for like a couple hours. And I would just like dr- try to drown it out with like coffee and stuff. And uh, it, that mostly worked. And then, you know, it would <clears throat> I would wash it out, you know. But when I did it at night, I would wake up and it would be like morning breath multiplied by that bad taste in my Ugh. mouth. that has been festering yeah. all night. And it was God awful. And I know I shouldn't complain because this is the second thing, I guess, in my thing. Uh, uh, so I was I was obviously on the mend when I got it. Like I was definitely feeling better. Um, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm not that like, I'd be laying in bed and I'd be like, I'm not that sick. I could get up and walk around and I get up and walk around for five minutes. Like, Oh no, I need to get back to bed. That was a bad plan. That was a bad plan getting up, but I could like, I could put in a solid five minutes. It wasn't like, you know, you're so sick where you're like, I need to go to the bathroom and you get up. You're like, Oh God, why? (laughs) 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 So I was on the mend. I was getting better, but like, uh, I took the Paxlovid and I went to bed and I woke up feeling not a hundred percent, but it was, I could get up and do things for like an hour or two, like, okay, maybe, maybe 30 minutes to an hour. And then I'd have to sit down for like, you know, an hour or two, but like, it was like night and day, how much better I felt after I took that magic, magic drug. So, uh, yeah, that was fascinating. Uh, and, and it happened during our spring break. 
man. Oh, that's and, and we were we were I'm planning sorry. on doing a staycation and we were going to go. Um, there's an airplane museum, the Evergreen Airplane Museum, pretty close where the Spruce Goose is. Which now. is supposed to be. Yeah, that's supposed to be like phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go this Friday now uh, because the kids have a day off if, from school. But when I do come out there, you need to take me there. I, OK, I, I, I know it's up your alley. Um, but yeah, no, the kids are a little bit excited by it. My, my boy was kind of, uh, miles, miles was kind of excited about it, but then he saw that there are tanks you could go touch out in the parking lot. And he's like, Oh, we got to go see the tanks, daddy. And I'm like, Oh, there we go. <laughs> but, uh, it was fun boy after my own heart. It, it was fun. We decided that we were going to, um, so when we're in staycation mode, uh, or vacation mode, one of the things we do is we go try to eat, you know, local cuisine once a day. And so we did that here. Uh, so we tried, you know, restaurants that we'd never been to before. And we went looking for kind of out of the way, weird stuff. Uh, and we found a couple gems. There's like this little, like kind of old, like 1960s burger stand, uh, over in Forest Grove, which is not close, but close ish to my house. And like, it hasn't been touched since the sixties, like in every respect, like, you know, it's got 1960s furnishings, but they're all old and faded. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, but it was great. It was, it was this nice little burger. Did you ever go to the original Hoff's hut in, in, I think or Mosa? No, I never did. Um, that sounds like that. Yeah. It was quite good. It was quite good. Uh, that was the highlight. Uh, we went to a pizza place because we've been uh, there's there's a pizza place over up in I think it's still in Cedar Park. It's up by the big H E B up the road from you called like Ajax Pizza. I want to say that was so. Good. Oh, I don't know. I don't think we've tried. Oh, Ajax. fudge, man! That is a good freaking pizza. Uh, if you like crust, if you like chewy crust, oh, the crust is just like mm, it's so good. Who doesn't? Uh, I know people who don't. They're like, I don't eat crust. That's just wasted food. It doesn't have any of the toppings on it. Oh, those like, people are wrong. Those people are wrong. Some of my children don't eat crust. And I, I every time they, they hand me the crust because I'm the official crust killer uh, of the family, I, I, I am somewhat offended by their existence at that point in time. I, I completely agree. But Ajax has, has delightful crust. The the topping, I mean, it's hard to the, – the toppings are good. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's hard not to screw up toppings on pizza. But the crust, man, the crust is just mm, perfection on that one. So anyway, I, I've been trying to look for that here, and we did not find it. Uh, we went to a place, and it was, it was a little underwhelming. Uh, God, where else did we go? We went to a couple Asian places. You know what's weird about this, like, hippy-dippy white people BS that's in Portland, Oregon here? Like, Asian restaurants here don't use MSG. None of them. And you can tell. And it's like, oh, I get a headache with the MSG. It's like, no, you get a racism ache with the MSG. There's so much MSG in everything if you just start looking for it. My God. But like, <laughs> yeah, nobody does. And like, and like I, I, it, it actually got bad enough out here. Uncle Roger would not be pleased. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen, if you've seen that, that uh, line of TikToks. No, <laughs> no, I haven't. I'll have to look that up. L- look up Uncle Roger. But, but we actually went to Amazon and bought MSG. And it's it, it's bizarre. Like, we sprinkle MSG on the Asian food here, and it tastes a lot better. <laughs> so is, is, is MSG kind of like, remember when eggs were bad for you? Yeah. Uh, is, is that, is, is, are we back around now? Now, is MSG really actually a good thing, but everybody thinks it's bad because it's not good or bad. It's, so, it's, so long? It's, it's, it's glutamates. It's made out of chemicals and, and it's a, it's a derivative of salt made with science. And so people are like, well, it's not natural. It's like, well, you put Parmesan cheese on your pasta that has glutamates in it. 
You know, it's umami flavoring. It's just chemically made umami flavoring. There's nothing wrong with it. But yeah, no, just I I knew plenty of white people in the day that were like, you know, back when I was a young lad, he would say, I don't eat Asian food because it gives me headaches because they put all that MSG on it. And it's like they put. Well, I remember they, they, there was a long time for for a long, long time. Every everywhere you went, there would be a sign in the window that said uh, no, MSG. no MSG. Yeah, yeah. And that's stupid. It. It's like high fructose corn syrup. Do I think MSG is probably like the best for you? Should you be like, you know, throwing it in a shot glass and shooting it? No, no, you should not do that. But it's it's a seasoning, you know? It's like high fructose corn syrup is not going to kill you. It's just made with science and it's fine. And MSG, it's not going to kill you. Anyway, I digress. The burger stand was the highlight. That That is what I'm getting to. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> All that. All that, but it was really all about the burger stand. It was really all about the burger stand. There's, all, there's always money in the banana stand. But it, God, it sucked, Jonathan, because we were gonna, we were like, oh, we should go to the zoo and we should go all do these things, and we and we went. Oh my God, Jonathan, I went full goblin mode that entire week because I was sick and I, I just, you know, I, I felt like garbage. I like barely showered, so I just started stinking. But I was like good enough to like play video games because I could just sit there like a heap. Like that was about all I was good for. So I was just playing video games and stinking. It, it's <laughs> always a good sign for me of just how sick I am because there's there's been several instances in my life where I've gotten so sick that I, I couldn't even play a game. Yeah. Like, no, I didn't I, want to. The, I, the first day or two, I was like that. Yeah. And and that's that, that to me is always a good indicator. Like I remember I got... I got really, really sick when Halo 2 came out. And my my boss at the time was like, dude, you're not sick. You're just staying home and playing Halo. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. I feel so bad that I have this brand new copy of Halo 2 sitting in front of me and I'm I haven't touched my Xbox in days. Like that's my level of bad. And and he went on, you know, he went on my Xbox profile and checked, and sure enough, he was like, Oh, wow, you really are sick. I'm like, yeah, man, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> Yeah. So that was my, that was my spring break experience. I, I went full goblin mode and just stank and play video games. And then, and then I started showering again cause I was feeling better, but we, I was still in goblin mode cause like the kids were all sick and we couldn't go out. Sucked. Anyway, that's why we didn't record an episode. I had the Rona and it was spring break. I, I was thinking about not doing it just cause it was spring break. Cause I didn't want to edit over spring break, but uh, yeah, the illness kind of, uh, kind of forced that issue. So there you go. As the Rona sometimes do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, nobody had it bad. I mean, by all accounts these days, it's it's the the flu's actually gotten more deadly again finally. So there's that, I guess. This whatever this new breed of the Rona is, it's it's learned to coexist with us, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's much much less fatal. Have we even thanked our Patreons yet? <laughs> no. Oh God, we're no. ten minutes in. God. Well, you you, you kind of took a, took it and ran with it after the announcement. I can rant. I can rant, you Jonathan. Did. That's you like. Did. There's two things I do good. There's two things. One of them is rant, and the other one is hold grudges. <laughs> well, now, now that we've gotten past paragraph one, uh, 11 minutes into the recording. <laughs> Big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on, and, and the rants are flowing. We appreciate you. What is our national day? Is this, is this what I think it is? It is. Happy National Line, uh, Lineman Appreciation Day. When Mother Nature like knocks out your power. Or, no, or like the power a, lines. Somebody working on the The power lines. Powers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When Mother Nature knocks out your power, bro. Appreciate those guys that climb up there and put those put those wires back in. This is their day. It's their day. 
I appreciate them. I, I do. Let me tell you, in Texas, those guys are the real MVPs. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We were talking about that before we started. You know who's not? Our governor. F*** you, Greg Abbott. There it is. Oh, wow. We, 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 nice we, we skipped a, we skipped a few episodes. Getting out of the way nice and early. We skipped a few episodes. I don't know if you realized. Uh, I did. I just didn't. I was I was heartbroken. But now he's done something to piss me off and relight the fire within me. So, yeah, it's yeah. back. It's back. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get somebody who's a convicted murderer and, and, a, and a p- pardon them because, you know, they only killed a BLM supporter. Oh, yeah. Supporter. Yeah. Not to mention, they, they, not he to murdered mention the right all the people. lovely anti-trans laws that, uh, that they're, they're working on. Yeah. I wonder how it's many people just, that actually affects. Like, they're making laws to, like, screw with, like, a handful of people. Probably, pro- I would guess in Texas, best case scenario, you could count on your fingers and toes how many people it's actually going to affect. So it's like, know, let's make a law to mess with. More importantly, mm-hmm. why can't we just let people be people? And well, just, that's like, the goddamn point. Treat them why with are, respect. Like, like people like, think it's this huge problem, and it's like, no, it's not. And just leave people alone, for Christ's sake. God. Yeah. I can rant. Yeah. I've, I've got like a month of rant. You know, I, I'm actually like, about four or five days ago, I was actually like at 100, 100%, you know, like I stopped coughing up stuff, and, you know, I could. Like, go running without, like, hacking out with a lung. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Anyway, thank you, linemen. Use that hashtag, National Lineman Appreciation Day. And, uh, I don't know, go give them a coffee or something. <laughs> Use that hashtag, f*** you, Greg Abbott. <laughs> hey, Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. So, we, we were, before we were recording, we were having a lovely conversation about state government. And I was talking to you about uh, the different, you know, what, what Texas wants you to do and whatnot. And I just want to make you a little bit more jelly. Uh, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I just want to remind you of it because I saw him doing it again. So Jonathan, whenever they re- redo the power lines and stuff around here, do you know what they also do at the same time that they're doing all that? This is Weatherize the, it? The, the, well, no, we, we already do that because we have a functional government, Jonathan. No, they're running um, high fiber optic lines. So there is state run or, or city run internet in the city. See, I really can't say anything because I am on fiber optic internet. Uh, but if I was to move six blocks in um, uh, to the we- uh, east, I would not be. So yes, is your is is it a s- actual city utility that's not trying to make a profit? No, of course not. It's privately owned and, and gouges me for for um, you know connectivity every. every my month. downtown of my lovely little burg of Hillsboro, uh, Oregon, out here. They have free city Wi-Fi from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day downtown. And at the Shoot Park Library, actually, come to think of it. <sighs> and it's cheap, Jonathan. It's just it's just a city utility. They're, they're not trying to make a profit off of it, you know, because the Internet is a public utility these days. And they realize that out here because that is what you get when you have government that's that's working for you. And not getting out of your way, you know. Yeah. So you and your neighbors could come together and and make your own private internet in a crisis. (laughs) Don't, don't, you just, don't get me started. Anyway, let's get off the shelf. I have ranted now for 15 minutes. All right, well, let's get to our off the shelf segment. This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves and onto our tables and or media players and more importantly, into our hearts. Robert, where do you want to get started today? I don't know. Wow. Wow. You've had a busy month. I have not had a busy month. There's a lot of quantity, uh, not a lot of time spent on any one thing. Well, I had the opposite problem. How about we start with the classic movies and TV, Jonathan? I, that sounds good to me. 
So, you know, oftentimes I'll put something on in the background. It, it's got to be something that I've watched because I, I, I don't have the capacity to, to super um, concentrate on it. But I do have the capacity that to, to want some company, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I recently watched Speed, the 1994 action movie classic starring Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Fun fact, did you know that started as a sequel to Die Hard? Yes, yes I did. Fun fact, did you know that Jan DeBont was the um, director of photography on Die Hard? Yes, I did, because I, uh, I I recently got the, the, the DVD from my local library, because I realized I haven't seen Die Hard in like, years. I'm like, I need to fix that. Oh man, I watch Die Hard every, every Christmas. It's my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, we can fight about that. We can fight. <laughs> There's no need to fight. I'm right. No, you're wrong. Anyway, um, Jonathan. you've already had your rant for the... No, you've had your rant for this episode. You're done. Bring it up next episode. You're done. You're done. You're off. I can accept that. You, you, no, nope, I'm fine. You blew, you blew your rant I, on the intro. I, I completely agree. Go. <laughs> so, um, speed, man. Like, that movie actually held up kind of okay. Yeah. It wasn't terrible. No. It wasn't terrible. No. It's very well shot. Um, and actually, there's, there's like, it's an odd mixed bag of things. The supporting cast didn't realize how terrible of a set of actors they were, or, or at least how terrible they were directed. Um, it's awkward. It's awkward at best. Mm-hmm. But Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves are lovely. Mm-hmm. Dennis Hopper is lovely. Mm-hmm. Jeff Daniels is is fantastic. Joe Morton is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's well constructed. It moves at a really good clip. It's very well edited. You, you know what? And you know what? Fascinating. But I, I watched that movie about a year ago now, give or take. Yeah. What fascinated me was we were still kind of in the the era of the action movie star. You know, the the macho guy, and we were. It, it was moving away from it, but. Uh, and, and this is definitely a movie that was moving away from that. But Keanu Reeves, uh, for the entire entire movie, is relatively polite at all times. Nice. Yes, absolutely. You know, and he's got that like take charge, you know, authoritarian action movie star thing. But you know, call he calls uh, he calls Sandra Bullock's character ma'am for like most of the movie. <laughs> you know, like uh, it, it's it's weird because you know it's like hey, you know, you can be an action star and respect people. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I I actually I, one of the things that I walked away from it the most, especially given say other uh movies from from that time period um bad boys comes to mind is is just how well it aged mm-hmm. it's not overly sexualized at all it, it's very restrained in how it handles characters um there's none of the over-the-top machismo mm-hmm. it, it, it's very modern for lack of a better term yeah yeah no i completely agree i would completely agree you, you could like literally take that script and reshoot it today and you would not have to update the script for for, you know, content. Yeah, well, you would, because like the fact that he has to steal a cell phone off of a couple people at times, that's you know what I mean. But, but beyond I mean. that, I'm talking about content as in as in, right. you know, cultural relevance. Right, not, right, not right. Technology. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. They're, for God's sakes, Robert, they're on a city bus, something my city doesn't even have. Oh, that's that's a shame. I've got a I've got a bus stop uh, within a five minute walk of my house. It's just over there. There's not even a bus in my. I, I can my literally city. point at it from my window. <laughs> we have no public transit. You got the park and ride up the road a bit. Oh, that's for the train. Come to think of it. That's for the train. Yeah, I got one of those too. That's about ten minutes down the road. 
<laughs> I could go downtown and to the airport from there. And they're talking about extending the line into uh, into a lovely little town down south called Sherwood. Yeah, fun fact. Austin has light rail that doesn't go to the airport. Let's stop and think about how stupid that is for a moment. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Oh, I'm about to go into a ramp mode. Oh. But anyway, yeah, speed was a, a, a lovely surprise. I thought it held up very, very well. And um, again, not without its issues. Uh, a, a, a lot of continuity errors, I'll just say that. But um, yeah, no, Keanu uh, just further in, in uh, embracing my heart. He's a goddamn national treasure. He really is. He legitimately is. You know, when I decided I, I really, really like that man, uh, did you see, uh, oh shoot, what was that movie called? Love Me Forever Maybe or something? It was the romantic comedy he was in where he played himself. Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, where they go to that restaurant and he, it's like you can hear the animal you're eating and he's sitting there like eating a steak and just sobbing. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Randall Park's in it and some of the, oh, it was a great movie. Anyway. Um, no, that movie was hysterical. But yeah, yeah, I, I really like celebrities. Anytime I see a celebrity that that could just make fun of themselves and be kind of merciless about it, I, uh, I'm i OK with them. Like, I remember uh, a good while ago when it was very popular to hate on the Justin Timberlake. He did his SNL thing and he was he was ruthless on himself. And I'm like, you know what? Justin Timberlake's he's a good dude. <laughs> I, I, I respect he's he, he does not take himself seriously. I could respect that a lot. Yeah. And actually, actually, uh, uh, the, uh, he was in, he was in NSYNC, right? Or was it the Backstreet? Anyway, there, there was an episode of The Simpsons that I think NSYNC was on. And NSYNC was pretty ruthless on themselves. And, and after that episode of The Simpsons, they're like, you know what? I don't like their music and I still don't want to listen to it. But NSYNC's okay in my book. Like, they, they were so, they were just, it was, it was biting. <laughs> so, so Justin Timberlake was in NSYNC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was in that episode of the Simpsons. Yeah. I remember, I, yeah. I remember it was really popular to hate on NSYNC, but after that I was like, no, NSYNC's fine, man. They were on the Simpsons. They were being to themselves. Like, yeah, they, they're, they're cool. <laughs> but I, I think it's very easy to get NSYNC and Backstreet Boys confused because way too much. Oh, uh, well, it, boy bands in general, they're interchangeable. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, oh my God, that K-pop one that's really big right now. What, what's it called? Yeah, I don't know. I heard their music. I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's just NSYNC. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that formula. Anyway, sorry, I digress. I'm, I'm looking at your list, by the way. Do not tell me anything about the first one on your list. Just mention that you watch it because I need to go watch it so we can talk about it. Okay, okay. Show. Well, tell you what, finish out your list and then I will not talk about my, my list. Okay. Um, rewatch Top Gun Maverick again because I had already watched it once. I put it on in the background when I was doing some other stuff. And then when, when Lance Reddick passed away, I was really sad because I've really enjoyed him as an actor. He's been in so much stuff that I have absolutely adored. The Wire, Bosch, um, the John Wick uh, series of movies. Fringe. Like Lance Reddick is, yeah, Fringe. The episode of Fringe where he Lance takes Reddick's LSD. Lance a boss. Do you, do you remember the episode where he takes LSD? And he <laughs> yeah. That was so good. <laughs> but like Lance Reddick's just a boss. And he was always undervalued i felt like as an actor because he was so freaking good at everything he did mm -hmm. so in his honor i watched the entirety of the resident evil show on netflix oh even though it's terrible it's not good it's not good but here's the thing stick with it and watch the the last two episodes because lance reddick gets a chance to play four different characters and he is amazing like it's an acting tour de force all right we're gonna skip ahead because we're talking about lance reddick a little bit uh 
I I was really touched when he died. Uh, man, the, the Destiny Two stuff. Yeah, holy God, I yeah, was part of that. That was really nice. It was really nice. I I remember I was I came into the tower. And there were people, there's apparently an emote where you sit down with candles. I don't know what it's called. Uh, there were like five or six people sitting around Zavala with that emote on. I'm like, the hell's going on here? Is this like some weird role play thing? Because I hadn't heard yet. And then I heard and I came back and it was a different group, but they were there. And every time I came into the tower for a week, there were people hanging out near Zavala and I got really touched. And there was this thing on Reddit where people were like, oh, you know, like, uh, take one of the shaders that's for the Vanguard because uh, Zavala, Lance Riddick's character in Destiny is the head of the, the Vanguard. So it's like, okay, put put a Vanguard shader on your character for, for respect. And and I did. I did the whole month. I felt, I you know, it got to me. It got to me. It was, it was really yeah. sweet. And then uh, the day after he passed... Um, his wife thanked the uh, thanked the Destiny Two community by name. It was crazy. Like, yeah, and for good reason. It was well deserved. Well, yeah, because because um, Nathan Fillion and uh, the lady who played Zoe in Firefly they they both used to play characters in that, but they've been recast. Gina Torres. Gina Torres. Yeah, she got re- uh, her character got recast, um, and they wrote out Nathan Fillion and they killed his character uh, probably just because he was getting too famous and hard to schedule. But like Lance Riddick, oh. well, he he had another hit show. Yeah, yeah. After after Castle, he he immediately had another show right. that got renewed for like ever. Yeah, no, I, I I I from what he said, it wasn't like anything. It was just he was getting too hard to schedule, so they were they they had to move on from him, which is fine. You know, it happens. It's it, it's not a bad problem to have. I'm so successful, I can't work on this video game I like anymore. Yeah. I, I, you know, Gina Torres is married to Lawrence. Fishburne? I did know that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I love both of them. But Zavala, or, but but Lance Riddick apparently always took time out because he he played the game. He he played he he was a warlock main. In fact, somebody uh, figured out what his screen name was and looked him up after he died. He was literally playing the day before he died. Oh, man, that that's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And and what's crazy about it, because I saw a couple interviews with him, like the voice he had where he talked really enunciatingly, that that was acting. Like he didn't talk like that. And so like that guy could totally just like like hide in Destiny because he could get on TeamSpeak and just talk like a dude and nobody would think of it, you know? And and it, and uh, I mean, as a as a as a star, as famous as he was, that was probably really nice. He could play this game. He could get he could just talk to real people. He could just have fun and cut loose. I, I sent you my favorite Lance Reddick thing, hmm. which was totally stand up. Oh yeah, the one where he wanted to be Levar Burton. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Rainbow Road. What was it? Rainbow. Yeah. Rainbow something. Don't fail me now. <laughs> Rainbow. Uh, reading Rainbow. Don't fail me now. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, no, I, I fell in love with Lance Riddick, um, the, the episode of Fringe where he took LSD because he was so hysterically funny. And that was when I realized he could act because much like um, much like the actor we were just talking about who gets hired to play the actor. Um, oh, uh, Sam Jackson. As much as Sam Jackson gets hired to play Sam Jackson, Lance Riddick got hired to play Le- that, that character a lot. And when he showed his range, I was like, holy God, they are just not using him correctly because he could do so much more than he is. It's amazing. And even in Fringe, he played two different characters because he played he played Mirror Universe version of himself, and Mirror Universe version of himself was different and and had a much harder edge, and it, and, and he did it, he pulled it off. He was a great actor. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I it made me think I sh- I've never seen The Wire. I'm like I should probably watch that. Oh my god, dude, mm-hmm. dude, dude! Legitimately, The Wire is probably the best TV show ever made. Uh, I don't say that lightly. I, I've heard I've heard the first season especially. It kind of. Oh my God, the first season is a tour de force in every respect. Acting, writing, it's just like, here's how you do things the right way. 
Yeah, yeah. So anyway, re- re- rest in peace, Lance Riddick. Like, yeah, it was very, so, it was very yeah, sweet. I watched, I watched uh, uh, the 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 Resident Evil show um, to just you know to kind of pay my respect, if you will. And he was great in it. The show itself's a hot mess, and it's supposed to take like it's oddly connected to the canon of the games, which is bananas to begin with. <laughs> like they legitimately make a like they make a a, a comment about you know like. Uh, the original Wesker died in a volcano. Did somebody say that with a straight face? Yeah, no, like a thousand percent with a straight face. I respect. Okay. They even made a master of unlocking reference. Fair enough. Fair enough. There was a lot of love for the series in, in, in the series, but it, it, it is just, uh, Oh God, it was so bad. I, I, I watched the very first episode of Dahmer. I, I still don't feel clean. I need to go take another shower, and I'm hoping that I feel clean enough to watch episode two at some time in the near future. Okay, then. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay, fair enough. Amelia wanted to watch a documentary for some reason, and she picked Earthstorm because she likes natural disasters because she's my child. And so we sat down and we watched all four episodes of Earthstorm. What's that about? It's a documentary series about, like, you know, episode one's all about um, tornadoes. Episode two is about earthquakes. There's one on hurricanes, and then there's another one on tsunamis, I think, are the four. All right. Well, let's go over to me, then. I went out to a frickin' movie theater because we were supposed to do this instead of doing King of All Things this episode and talk instead about the Dungeons & Dragons movie, The Honor Among Thieves. So I went and saw it, Jonathan. Did, yeah. you, did you? Unfortunately, did you? Easter Easter Sunday hit, and that was a that was a very busy weekend. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want you to ride me about it this week, though, because then I can utilize your texts as a tool to force Jessica to give me the time to go watch it. Um, okay, so if any of the kids are remotely interested, don't feel bad taking them. There's nothing particularly bad in it. It's a lot tamer. It's trying to be Guardians of the Galaxy kind of in tone, and it's much tamer than Guardians of the Galaxy. So there's nothing there. Um, we can talk after you see it. I, I've got opinions on it. Yeah. No, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about it on the show. I definitely don't want to. But, go but your it. your guess that the movie is very much playing out like uh, the way a campaign plays out at the table, uh, kind of on spot because a lot of weird, silly things happen, and they play it. They play it straight, man. They just go with it. And it's like, and, and watching I, it, I'm like, yeah, no, this, this feels like a and d campaign. Like it's some, but you know that, that, that to me, that that's the only way you could approach this and, and not come off as feeling disingenuous. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I, this isn't a spoiler. Uh, what I really liked about it is like some of the D and D races show up, you know, as, as background characters and even like minor characters that have speaking lines. Like, uh, in the opening scene, there's a, uh, there's a dragonborn and they don't even, they don't even acknowledge what he is. It's just this like dragon looking guy sitting there <laughs> and, and everybody, and they're just talking to him. Like it's nothing. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of how it is in D D you know, there's just random folk around of, you know, that aren't human and just, it's just a thing. It's just, yeah, you see that <laughs> it's a thing that happens a lot. You don't even think about it. And, and that was interesting because in like Lord of the Rings, uh, just, just, you know, the fact that like, the various races don't get along all that well. And, and, but they've banded together to do this thing is kind of like a pretty central plot point and to fly the exact opposite way of like, you know, there's like a billion freaking D and D races and they're all just sort of 
you know, like existing together. It was kind of fascinating. I was, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. I wish they had like, were able to lean into it more and you'll like it. There's a lot of practical effects in it too. Surprisingly, um, a, a, a high amount. I mean, not with the monsters necessarily, but um, like the, the, the non-human races, like those are all just costumes. You, you'd be surprised, man. Like the Witcher kind of brought back using practical effects with digital enhancement. And that's part of the reason why the Witcher's special effects like feel so good and look so good, especially on a TV budget, is because what they do is they've got the, the practical effect on set and then they just enhance it digitally to, to make it feel more more active. So the family and I are still trudging through uh, Steven Universe. We are almost done. Show's still great. It's very fun. Uh, it's weird coming back to it a few years later because I can't believe I'd forgotten as much of, of the show as I did. But it's uh, it's still quite a good show. So, so Star Trek Picard. Just don't spoil anything. I know I need to watch it. The seventh episode for me was the first kind of like eh episode. The first six episodes like nailed it, nailed it. And uh, seven seven was kind of eh, eight eight starting to pull it back around again. So we'll see if we'll see if they they uh, they uh, they have a strong finish. If they have a strong finish, it'll be fine. But it if they stick the landing, stick the landing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's been Picard's problem before. We will see how it works out. But there's a there's a, a lot of there's a lot of deep cuts, man. It's it's pretty impressive. I don't know how I got this in my head. I don't recall anymore. It was a weekend day. We had more time to watch a movie, so I started like flipping through all the various streaming services because my daughter likes horror movies. But I don't want to. I don't want to like traumatize the poor girl. I don't want to show her the, the the really bad stuff. You know, yeah, she's only eleven. And on Peacock, I landed on Psycho, and I'm like, huh. Huh, I w- man, I don't know. That that movie's pretty intense, man. Yeah, but it's not gory. You know, it's it's not because it's all in your head. It's all that's that's Hitchcock's greatness. But uh, I I thought my daughter could handle it, and uh, so we watched it, and it is surprising how well it held up until like the last like few minutes of the movie. It's amazing. Uh, it held up really, really, really well. It was really good, and then at the very, very bitter end, like they have. For no reason I can fathom, they have uh, Marion Crane's sister, whatever her name is, and uh, Marion Crane's boyfriend in with the police after they've captured Norman Bates uh, with several police officers. And the police psychologist comes in and gives this like two minute monologue about, you know, like how, you know, he has split personalities and he's a transvestite and just just, like a lot of this cringy stuff. You're like, oh, oh, just stop talking, bro. Just stop. (laughs) And and, uh, product of its time. Yeah. Yeah. But but surprisingly. That was the part that was like, oh, yeah, this is some 1960s failures right here. Other than that, the movie was fine, like the whole way through. It was really good. Interestingly enough, a lot of Hitchcock stuff holds up reasonably well. Yeah, yeah. It makes me want to watch more of it because I haven't I haven't seen a lot of Hitchcock stuff. Um, but anyway, anyway, um, it was surprising because uh, I realized because my daughter hasn't watched reruns, like a lot of like the what a twists of really old famous movies, they just get ruined because they get referenced so much back in the day. She has no understanding of. So she was watching the movie and she's like, why is this movie called Psycho? Is this lady going to start killing people? (laughs) And she was trying to guess what was going on. I'm like, oh, and it it dawned on me. Like, she doesn't know. She doesn't know when, when, when Marion Crane gets murdered in the shower, she is not going to see that coming, you know? And, and, and when it happened, she's like, oh my God, (laughs) it was, it was, it was so neat to watch. It was so neat to watch. So yeah, um, that, that, that was actually surprisingly fun. 
So uh, I also uh, there's this podcast that uh, Michael Rosenbaum, the guy who played Lex Luthor on uh, Smallville. Uh, yeah, uh, it's called Inside of You. Uh, it's a pretty good podcast. Uh, I was watching. I think it was the episode with Jonathan Frakes because I was uh, Jonathan Frakes is a is a, he, he's quite funny. He, he, he talk about your American treasures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they mentioned this movie called Clifford. And they said they both said it was. I, I think it was his episode. I watched a few, and I was sick during them, so I was I fever dreams and whatnot. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, anyway, um, some he was talking to somebody, and they talked about the movie Clifford, and and I I'd like never heard of it. Like 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 Clifford, like the big red dog. It's like no no no. Okay, so Clifford is a movie about a ten year old boy who has a singular fascination with going to a theme park called Dinosaur World in uh, Southern California. So it's obviously Disneyland basically. And he, he, he's on a plane to go to Hawaii and they're flying over and somebody informs him that if they have an emergency landing, they'll have to land in LA. And he's like, and then we could go to dinosaur world. So he makes a crisis, you know, he gets to go in the cockpit and he flips some switches and whatever. And then his dad's mad because he has to go to Hawaii for a business thing and they're not going to make it because they kick Clifford off the plane. And then his brother happens to live in the city and his brother's having problems with his girlfriend who doesn't want to marry him because she doesn't like kids. And so when his brother calls and says, Hey, can you take Clifford off our hands so I can finish this trip? He just goes, okay. And then Clifford makes his life hell because he says he'll take him to dinosaur land. And then he doesn't not a great movie in, in weird ways. Uh, it came out at the same time that problem child did. So it's kind of in that, that weird vein of movies that have oddly similar premises, uh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like Dante's peak and volcano. So yeah, kind of, kind of that vein of it, but who, who did they get to, who did they cast? What famous actor did they cast as Clifford? 10 year old boy wants to go to a theme park. Or wasn't it Martin? Short? It was 40 year old Martin short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. Mary Steenburgen. Correct. Right? And uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Groden. Charles, Charles Groden. Very good. Yes. From Beethoven. Yes. Because that was right around the time he was like whipping out the Amer- the the, the, the uh, family comedy. Right. Right. I think I saw that in theaters. Oh, God help us all. I think yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh. Isn't Dabney Coleman in it too? Yes, he is. Very good, Jonathan. God, I'm old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not a great film. But but like kind of cringy and fascinating to watch. Like like there's just a, a sheer amount of like what were they thinking? Why did they cast Martin Short? <laughs> I think it was like a, a vehicle for him. Yeah yeah I don't know man. Um you you know who did the music for that? Mm. Richard Gibbs. You know uh, from Oingo Boingo. Oh yeah yeah that tracks. Because uh, I, I remember that's why I went and saw it in the movie theaters, just because I'm a big Oingo Boingo fan. And and when I found out that Richard Gibbs had written the movie, uh, the music for it, I was like, I got to go support Richard Gibbs. <laughs> I'm not going to say that was a great plan, but that's also how I ended up watching Ladybugs. Oh, I watched that movie, too. Yeah, that was that was that period of time. Uh, my parents would go see movies and I didn't want to go see movies that they were seeing. And so I'd go see something else. And the only thing that was playing was Ladybugs. So that's what I went and saw. I remember that. Oh, so many movies did I see that way too. Uh, no, you're not old enough to go see this, but so you, you can go see this. It's, it's in the other theater. It ends like 15 minutes before ours. Then you can just wait. Yep. 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 Cause we're part of the feral generation. My friend. Yeah. Yeah, we are. And then last but not least, uh, I utilized chat GPT. I, uh, cause we're trying to think of a movie to watch. Uh, and I, I wanted to pick something that my, my daughter would like. And so I went to chat GPT and I said, my daughter likes psycho and Beetlejuice. And, you know, Haunting Hill House, all the stuff that she likes, recommend some movies for me. 
And the top one it spat out was Edward Scissorhands. And I'm like, oh my God, I had forgotten about that movie. <laughs> I, I could, God bless ChatGPT coming, coming in strong with the recommendations. I, I, was, I was fairly impressed. So yes, we ended up watching Edward Scissorhands. And it doesn't hold up great. Uh, as like say Beetlejuice still holds up pretty well because Beetlejuice is just weird creepy and Edward Scissorhands just I I don't know it doesn't quite hit the market hit for me back in the day but it was still pretty good it's it's very it's still a very weird surreal very anachronistic film because like all the houses look out of the 60s and 70s but they talk very clearly about technology like like somebody mentions a CD player at one point so it's it's weird. And I guess uh, I was reading, it's supposed to be from Edward's point of view. So, which is why everything's kind of strange and surreal because that's just how he viewed things. Cause he's a robot, but uh, yeah, no, I, uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, it's not bad. Uh, it's funny. I heard, um, <laughs> so like, like for half the movie, my daughter was sitting there and she's like, who's that lady? And I'm like, you don't know who the lady is. She's like, I know. And then like halfway through the movie, she's like, is that the mom from stranger things? I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. And she's like, why is she blonde? <laughs> it's like, because it was 40 years ago almost. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. Now you got that damn quote in from Beetlejuice stuck in my head. What? Which one? Oh, well, I, uh, attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard business school. Travel quite extensively. I lived through the black plague and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, times and, and it, it keeps, keeps getting, getting funnier, funnier every time I, time I see, I see it. it. Not, Not to mention that you're talking to a dead, dead guy. guy. Now, what do you think? Am I qualified? <laughs> How about this? <laughs> <laughs> nice f***ing model. Uh-uh. Yep. <laughs> God, I love that movie so much. Michael Keaton at his greatest. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, Edward Scissorhands. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd recommend it or not. Like, there's some other movies that are stronger, but uh, apparently it was very funny putting Winona Ryder in, uh, you know, cheerleader outfits and stuff because back in the day she was either dressed as a tomboy or very, very goth. And apparently Tim Burton thought it was hilarious putting her in those costumes. And uh, I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it, I don't know. At least they had a good time. She seemed to have a good time during it. She talked about it fondly, I guess. So there you go. I'm telling you, honey, she meant nothing to me. Nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> all right, what do you want to move on to? Forty-three minutes in, know, we're now I really just want to go watch Beetlejuice. <laughs> By the way, we've been at this for forty-five minutes, and we're one segment in. I, I just said that you weren't listening. Thinking about Beetlejuice, it's not my fault. <laughs> Uh, you want to do board games? Mm-hmm. I've been playing a fair amount of board games uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, Dale turned me on to uh, three games uh, on Board Game Arena that I have been uh, lapping up pretty extensively, one of which I have uh, purchased in physical form, and we will be deep diving tonight. Uh, Boop, which is a game about think, about... think about it like Connect Four, where you can move things with cats. That's boop. Okay. Dice Hospital, which is a uh, roll and assign game with some interesting mechanics in it. I'm still figuring it out. It's uh, There's some complexities to it that I I'm, I'm haven't quite grasped yet. Uh, and then Gizmos, which we're going to deep dive tonight, uh, which I've been enjoying great, quite greatly. You know what we uh, haven't I been playing? The... You know what we haven't been playing? Welcome to. Welcome that, to... Ga- that game ended. No one fired up another one. Um, I mean, just text me and remind me and I will. But yeah, I've actually been playing the physical version of Welcome To, and I'm so glad that I bought the um, 
the expansion with the the whiteboard version mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. of the of the uh, of the score sheets. Yeah, because the I've gotten um, Carlos and uh, Clo and Lincoln into it, and we've all been sitting around playing a lot of Welcome to. And then uh, because the uh, Kickstarter for the sequel launches soon, I've been playing a lot of Fighters of the Pacific. Ew, after the deep dive, that's a good sign. Yeah, that's a very good sign. I I really I, I enjoy it. And not just because of the uh, era that it takes place in. I'm, I'm enjoying it because it's just much like Undaunted. It's it's all of the strategy I want without all of the like models and rulers and stuff like that. It, it, it scratches that itch without the with the without the overdrawn complexity in, in a much more streamlined fashion. All right. Does that take us to video games, my friend? Oh, wait, you've read something. Tell me what you've read. Oh, uh, yes. So I actually have been reading. Um, a friend of mine suggested that I read a book, um, oddly enough, by a Buddhist monk. And it's called The Hoofprints of the Ox. And uh, yeah, it's some interesting philosophy stuff. Very, very interesting philosophy. I actually, I didn't put it on my list. I forgot I read something too. I was uh, roaming through the library like I do. And I passed by that graphic novel shelf like I do. And volume six of something caught my eye. And because uh, of the title, but I didn't start there. I actually just went upstairs and got volumes one and two. Uh, the same guy who wrote uh, The Nice House on the Lake wrote another graphic novel called, and this is the exact title, Something is Killing the Children. <laughs> Sounds like a real family affair. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's my favorite genre. It's monster hunting. It's about a lady uh, whose real legit name in it is Erica Slaughter running around hunting monsters that eat children. Like Boogeyman. It's pretty awesome. I, that I, sounds awesome. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I, I read volumes one and two. I like devoured them. And uh, uh, volume three's out. Like they had volumes one and two and four and five at the library, but they didn't have three. I have to wait for three. Ugh. So anyway, I'm waiting for three right now. But yeah, yeah, I would highly recommend, especially Brendan said that he liked uh, Nice House on the Lake. So uh, if you like that, check that one out. It's it's still pretty good. It's a little bit more comic booky. Cause it's much more actiony cause you know, it is about monster hunting, but, uh, <laughs> the best part is, uh, so she rolls into this town where, you know, there's a monster eating children. She, uh, she gets a bunch of her stuff confiscated by the police. And so she, she's got a local helping her out and she's like, okay, we need to go get some weapons. And then it cuts to like, uh, it's, it's called the, uh, the house depot, you know, not, not the home depot. Cause that would be copyright infringement. It's the house depot, completely separate place. Different, completely. Yeah, and it, it cuts to this guy, this older guy working by the counter, and he's like, now, a lot of people would just sell you these old chainsaws, but, you know, th- we live in the future. This is a modern day. We've got a chainsaw here that if you if you let go of the handle or if you drop it or, you know, it's got sensors in it, so, you know, if you drop it, it just won't go through your leg or something. The, the, the chainsaw will stop on its own, and, you know, you don't have to worry about that, and, and that's, that's the type of quality you get here at the House Depot because I'm going to make sure that you get the right tool for the job. I, I had a couple of guys pick these up last week, and they couldn't stop talking about them and, and you know, how much safer they felt with them. So, uh, yeah, and then it cuts to her just, like, staring at him. She's like, I want the old stupid chainsaws. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. And she buys an old stupid chainsaw. And, she, and, and she's like, Erica goes like, so he shows her some of the old ones. Like, I need something that'll really cut through things and just not stop. No matter what hard bony thing gets in the way. And it just needs to keep going. And he's like, what are you going to use this for? She's like, really oh, hardwood trees (laughs) (laughs) it's uh it's pretty good it's pretty good 
the first one's pretty plays it pretty straight. There's a monster. She has to go kill it. Uh, but the second one starts revealing a little bit more of the uh, the the hunter society that she goes to and starts going into that, which I think is where the real actual meat of the story is. Uh, it's it's just it's it's just good. It's very interesting, and it's got a it's got a good kind of kind of. I don't know. It, it's sense of humor is, is something I appreciate. It's, you know, it's dark humor. It's funny. So yes, something is eating the children. Don't let your kids read it. It's really gory. <laughs> and there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of dead children in it. It's not cool. There's, there is stuff that happens at that where you'll just see it. It's like, Oh, Oh, that really hurts my dad. Uh, I'll just, I'll just move along. All right. Video games. Is that all we got left? Yeah. Uh, shall we speed run it? Uh, well, I'm easy. I've been playing Destiny 2, like, nonstop. I've been kind of all over the place. I noticed. I, too, played Destiny 2, with you, no less. Yeah, it was fun. Which we need to do again. Mm-hmm. I've been slowly chipping away at my Yakuza Like a Dragon playthrough, which I've talked about on the show before. I really enjoy that game, but, man, there there's some grind to it. Like, there are some difficulty spikes. Very true. Like... To the point where it's like, okay, I get it. You wanted me to buy that 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 XP pack in the DLC, but I'm not going to. So this is just hurting the way I look at this game. I, I got on stupid sale uh, a fighting game called Omen of Sorrow, which is all like classic monsters. So like there's a mummy and a werewolf and, and uh, a vampire and all that fun stuff. And it's actually halfway decent uh, for a little independent fighting game, which I was really impressed by. I have been playing with uh, Lincoln. We we finished the first Tomb Raider. I think uh, we talked about that last episode. So we've been slowly working our way through the second Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Uh, and Chloe and I have been continuing to play through Persona 5. A lot of Call of Duty with, uh, with Carlos. And then um, I hopped on my PlayStation and just dove into the uh, the catalog of games available. And ended up, like, installing a bunch of stuff on my uh, PlayStation. I have been playing through uh, Everyone's Golf, which is, if you remember the Hot Shots Golf series of games? Mm, yeah. Yeah, that this they called it Everyone's Golf everywhere but the United States. Uh, and so they, they unified the name with the last one that came out on PS4. And I have been having a good time with it because I enjoy, as much as I would never, um, I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of golf in real life. Uh, I can't tell you how much I enjoy playing video game golf. For some reason, it just totally drives with me. Um, I installed the classics Ridge Racer 2 and Ridge Racer 4 and have been having a blast with them. Um, Also installed the Wipeout collection that's available and have been having a blast with that for the same reason. And then two games that I will call interesting but flawed, and yet I'm still going to play them through all the way because I'm I'm invested and, and they are genuinely genuinely answer, are asking some interesting questions. The first is Detroit Become Human. Have you played that at all? No, but they released it free for like one of the monthly games on PlayStation. So I've got it in my catalog that I can download. I want you to play it. It's interesting. It's, it's a better experience than it is a game. But it's... I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated by it. I want to talk to you about it, so I'm not going to say anything else. Fair enough. What was the other game you played? And then I I, I, I installed and played some Death Stranding, the the Kojima game. Mm-hmm. I've never done acid, but if I did, I feel like that was doing acid. I mean, you're probably wrong, but wh- why do you say that? It's it's bananas, man. It's absolutely bananas. Like it's a weird world a weird aesthetic 
and yet I can't stop playing it. I'm like fascinated by it. Isn't it basically just a walking simulator? Yes and no. There's more to it than that. Calling it a walking simulator is really being unfair to it, to be to be honest. Because there's there's quite a bit more going on than that. I did not think that something that basic would be as engaging as it has been. Um, and it has been engaging. So I, I don't know. I'm, I, I keep wanting to play it more. I read something that as you play through the game, sometimes you'll see constructions and stuff from players who have been there before. Yes, I've encountered that several times. Hmm. And it's interesting because they, those characters did me a, a huge solid. Like I came out across a river and if I w- needed to ford the river on my own, it would have probably taken me three, four minutes. But I was able to do it in 15 seconds because I had a clear path with, uh, you know, that was easy to um, traverse. And then I gave that player a thumbs up because that there's a social element to it as well. Huh, that's funny. I don't even know how to describe it, but like I'm totally drawn to it. Like I, I want to see where it goes. But I can't say I even fully understand it, man. It's just bananas. That reminds me. I bought the Lightfall expansion for Destiny 2. And uh, my buddy Brandon and my buddy Corey, we've been actually playing it together. And we got the bright idea as 40-year-old men to put it on the hard mode to try to get through the uh, story quests of it. And that's rough. Um, It got so bad. We were on this one boss fight and we couldn't get it below 30%. Like we kept trying and trying and beating our heads against it. And finally... We just kind of had enough because we, we wanted to finish it because that's how you unlock the new spec called Strand, which is hella fun, by the way. And so we put it back on normal mode and like we breezed through that mission in like 20 seconds. Like it was nothing. <laughs> but hard mode was so hard. I really wish I could say I had the uh, the chops to just kind of like power through it. But I'm like, I don't I don't know, because I was watching. Uh, the the boss of the story campaign, I was watching somebody do it on hard mode. And you know how long the, the boss of hard mode took them to play? How long? 20 minutes of nonstop fighting, dodging boss attacks. And yeah, it was, tw- it was a 20 minute video and it was just entirely him doing this one boss fight. And I was like, oh man, I don't, damn. <laughs> and if you die, you die and you have to start over from the beginning. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah, yeah. But when we got to that boss, I mean, given, like, we were way over-leveled for, like, you know, because they, they expect uh, the light level is currently at 1,800. And you're, that level is designed for people who are, like, 1,650. And I, I was at 1,800 at that point because I had been doing other things. And uh, Brandon was at, like, the 17, the high 1780s and his brother was at the, uh, just uh, yeah, like the high 1750s. And we just curb stomped that level. It was, it was bad. Like we killed the boss. Like it was nothing like I, cause I had this crazy good rocket launcher I got and, and I, I just fired the rocket launcher at him a couple times and it, it took away like a good quarter of his health every time I did it. I'm like, Oh wow. I guess they didn't expect you to have this then. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Still a very good game. I'm having a great time playing it. I uh, Every week they put one of the story missions from the, the thing on hard mode again, and you can get extra rewards by doing it. So uh, it just flipped. Tomorrow it's going to go from mission one to mission two uh, of the of the story missions. So, uh, yeah, uh, we're, we kind of have this thing like, you know, in six weeks when we get caught up to where we were, we'll, uh, we'll try it again. We'll try it again now that we're a little bit higher level. 
Because that, that was one thing. Um, the the light level was designed for Corey because he was in the 1750s. Like he would get one shot occasionally by stuff. And uh, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so because we're old, we don't have those reflexes like we used to. We can't dodge everything. Oh, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Let, just let me know when you're playing. I will. Uh, yeah, I will. we play. I, I play a fair amount on the weekends when you can play. So I just need to remember to do it because I during the week when I play, I don't think you could play it during the week. Eh, text me. It won't hurt me to text me. Okay, I'll start remembering to do that. And all uh, right. Yeah, I think, I think that's that, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Finally, an hour and one minute into it. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment, which of course means it is break time. And when we return, we'll be talking about all things in the news and, of course, our King and All Things segment. See you in a bit. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment, which not a ton of news today, Robert. All right. So you were having problems finding your news. And I said, I found something that I know will make you happy when I start talking about it. But I was wondering if you'd find it. And you didn't find it because we discussed this before. So I'm going to go first. And I'm going to tell Fire away. I'm going to tell you the story that will make you happy. Hatchet Board Games will publish Sky Team, a new limited communication game by Scorpion Mask, which will hit retail in Q4 2023. Sky Team, designed by Luke Ramond, is a cooperative limited communication game where players take on the roles of a pilot and a co-pilot of an airplane. The players will need to work together silently to direct their plane onto landing strips of different airports. Landing the plane involves assigning dice to correct areas in the po- to correct areas of the cockpit controls in order to control the plane's speed, flaps, landing gear, and contact with tower control. Oh my god, this sounds so right up my alley. It's almost like they made it for me. This is a two-player game for ages 12 and up and should play in 20 minutes, Jonathan. Yes, I thought of you when I saw it. And I was this like, looks so cool. I'm looking at pictures of it right now. <laughs> I knew you'd like it. I know you, buddy. I know ya. Dude, have you seen the the cover? The cover looks awesome. Uh, yeah, with the the two people uh, with yeah. the headsets and stuff. Yeah, I, 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 there's not a lot of pictures. This is, I got this over on ICV too, so there's not a lot of pictures of it. Oh, dude, this prototype that they had at Con looks amazing. Nice. This game looks fun. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in a hundred percent. Future deep dive. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Well, my first uh, my first story is unfortunately a very very sad story. We oh God, lost... I, I set you up to fail. I'm so sorry, Jonathan. It's I'm okay. So sorry. We we we've lost a very important member of our community. Uh, unfortunately, Klaus Tuber, 
I hope I'm pronouncing his last name properly, uh, who was the original designer of Settlers of Catan, has passed away. Uh, it was acknowledged by Catan Studio, um, I believe, last week. And he was born in 1952. So unfortunately, he has passed away. Um, to give you an idea of his impact on board games in general, not not just board gamers that would listen to, oh, say, a board gaming podcast like ours, but also just the general populace. They have moved over 25 million copies of Settlers of Catan worldwide. It's the most popular board game since Risk and Monopoly. And that should say a I'm going to go out on a limb. Um, the current uh, RPG gaming renaissance and uh, kind of tangically and very directly the board gaming renaissance that we've had, I, I will lay directly at that man's feet. Settlers of Catan, say what you will about the game. It was in the right place at the right time to get people, and it was accessible, and it was accessible to get people moving into more complicated board games than, say, the game of life and the landlords. I mean, Monopoly, not the landlords game, because Parker Brothers totally stole that from that lady. I can't describe what it was like. Um, so I worked at a, a FLGS when I was in college in like the early early aughts, and um, we moved, and we were like right next to a college. And we, at the beginning of the semester, every semester, we moved so many copies of that game. It was ridiculous. Like, it was, it was like, you know. Oh, my, my stat was wrong. Hmm. It, the 25 million copies statistic was from 2010. As of 2020, it's over 40 million units moved in over 40 languages. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. This podcast and everything you and I love about the geek sphere being being so ascendant right now, I think we could probably draw a line to Settlers of Catan. Like, I mean, I, you could do it to Firefly and, and other stuff too, but I, I think Settlers of Catan had a much bigger impact on all of that than people seem to realize because it it got people walking into stores that they never walk into, and then they looked at yep. other stuff. And yep. I, it happened at both the game stores I worked at. And, uh, and that was like in the early days of it. And it, it was, it was extraordinary. It was simply extraordinary for the legacy of a person. I can't, I can't, I can't even think of something that's touched more people than that, you know, in, in our sphere of influence. Like there's so much that you can thread back to settlers of Catan existing and just being so accessible and so popular. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's just incredible. Well, and, and it came out in 1995 and it's now, ubiquitous you know like uh, that says something board games don't stay around for 28 years that's not a normal thing hell i like, was just really last just says i was just watching last week tonight the the most recent episode and the punchline of a joke was settlers of Catan. you know yeah and, and it got a laugh and, and, it and, got and, a laugh well, like of course it did yeah because that that's now in the zeitgeist it, it is a part of our culture so yeah if you have a moment whip out your copy of Catan, give it a play and and remember klaus for the, the the visionary designer that he was and and all of the expansion to this wonderful favorite thing of ours that uh that that he provided us i don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you don't but even if you're not that into board games and you you like other nerdy stuff go go play settlers of Catan. like us being where we are right now doing this is is yeah it, he is one of the pillars that is holding up that foundation well to follow up that sad news I am happy to report that the first draft of the open role-playing creative license or the orc 
has been released by Paizo and the law firm that I forgot the name of already. But that law firm, we'll just go with that law firm. It's a bit longer than the original OGL, which could fit on uh, two pages or one page if you got the font really, really tiny. Uh, it's about four pages right now. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of sad how um, how specific it is about how it cannot be canceled. There, there's, there's a really lengthy section <laughs> about it. And it's like, you know, like... I. Uh, Watsi, Watsi couldn't cancel the OGL. They would go to court and they would lose because there's no provision for them to cancel that license. Like there is, because no, you have to say in the license, we can cancel this license at any time by following these steps. And there are no steps and there is no provision like that. But this one, <laughs> this, the, the orc man, they went way out of their way to say, no, really, there is like no provision for this. Like this is, this is forever. And they use so many words for forever. It's ridiculous. Like it's, it's, it's just silly, but it exists. It's out there. Like, do they go full, uh, do they go full outcast on it? Yes. Yes, they do. I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to roll with it. You've never heard that song? I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. <laughs> no. You just changed it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to Watsy. Ooh, I am so real. You ain't canceling OGL. <laughs> I mean, I could get there. I could get there real easy. Okay. Well, if you want to go read Legalese, uh, it's over on uh, Paizo's blog site uh, with the first draft and a, a little bit of a Q&A and all that about it. But uh, yeah, it exists. Uh, Chaosium has already said that their new version of the basic role-playing system, which powers such classics as Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest, uh, is going to be published under it, which is cool. And I'm assuming Pathfinder 2 will eventually as well. So there you go. It's it's out. It exists. Thank you, Watsi, for, for you know pooping the bed that bad that we had to make something new and better. But you know what? Sometimes, uh, sometimes from the ashes of a brush fire comes a uh, new and, and wonderful growth that's stronger than it ever was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a pity that Watsi had to be the ones that lit themselves on fire and then proceeded to pour every flammable object they could get their hands on uh, on top of themselves. Like it just, it, it just, it was a. Uh, you, you're just sitting there on the sidelines. So stop, please, just stop, stop talking. See, you're making it worse. You're making it. Oh, they doubled down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. Oh, over to you, Jonathan. Well, in something of a more fun news, um, if you played through Fallout Four, you might know that there was a board game in Fallout Four uh, called Blast Radius. Somebody, a fan of the game, has actually made it in real life, which is amazing and awesome. The Blast Radius board game is a real common item within the game, and now we have it in real life as well, thanks to uh, Reddit user YPCO. Yipco? Yipco? Who knows? I don't know. It's the internet. I've probably just said something terrible in six languages. I'm sorry in advance. (laughs) But yeah, it's a faithful recreation. There's a full set of rules. It's uh, apparently similar to the game of life in terms of its mechanics. So there you go. Blast Radius, the board game, now lives in real life. Well, speaking of uh, Flames Rising, Cole Press has announced their similar to 5th edition yet legally distinct RPG. <laughs> is that the official name? That is not the official name. It was formerly called Pro- <laughs> it should be. Uh, Project Black Flag. <laughs> uh, it is now going to be called Tales of the Valiant, and they are going to have a Kickstarter in May for a player's handbook and a monster book to go along with it. They've released a couple of playtest packets for it already, if that floats your boat. Uh, the goal of it is that any content you have for 5th edition that is, like, class, magic item, magic spell, uh, 
based, monster based, should just port right over to it, but it'll have some new wrinkles and whatnot. So I will be looking at that with interest when uh, come May. But yeah, there we go. Tales of the Valiant from coming from Kobold Press. All right. Well, also in the RPG space, uh, you might remember a couple of months ago, I believe we we um, talked about how Edge Publishing was having some issues uh, ever since the onset of um, the the pandemic in terms of getting some of their expansions and some of their books out. Well. Embers of the Imperium, which is one of the the ones that's been kind of delayed indefinitely, is finally coming out this year. That is, of course, the expansion for the Twilight Imperium universe uh, for the Genesis system that Edge took over from Fantasy Flight Games uh, some time ago. Um, Copies are hitting the market immediately and should be available in the U.S. and Europe uh, within the next month or two. And if you want it, you can actually get it right now by going to drivethroughrpg.com, where the PDF is now available. Oh, rad. All right, one last thing. So in the wake of the uh, OGL kerfuffle, uh, Wizards of the Coast got a bunch of creators together to, uh, you know, show them stuff. I don't know. Uh, That happened, and uh, by all accounts, it was a show, Jonathan. (laughs) What? (laughs) So basically... Uh, by the people who were involved and who went to it, uh, what happened was they they brought a bunch of people in and they were showing them the new virtual tabletop and, and stuff like that. And uh, and then they had a break. And during the break, a lot of the people who were there who were like influencers, you know, got together and were asking, like, what the hell's going on and whatnot. And so apparently the the energy in the room was just was just not right, Jonathan. It was weird. It was a weird time. And uh, eventually they talked to Wizards and they kind of informed them. It's like, you're treating this like it's an investor's call. You know, like you're showing us this product, but we're not your investors. Like we want to, we're users of your product. And they weren't able to answer basic things about the product. Like, for example, what platforms it will be on at launch? What are the system requirements for this? And whatnot, because they're like, if I'm going to stream this, I need to, you know, am I going to need to get a separate computer to, to run this while I'm, you know, also, cap, you know, recording and capturing? Like, they didn't they didn't have answers to, you know, basic questions that influencers would want. Kind of proving that, you know, maybe they don't know quite what the influencers want. Now they, you know, whatever. And, and Wizards, of course, did their thing where they just sort of like kept doubling down for a while. But eventually, eventually... They started having a QA about the OGL stuff and, 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 you know, they talked to everybody about it. And apparently the next thing where the guys who are actually making D&D came on and talked about, you know, the new one D&D went a lot more smoother after the, the influencers kind of got to hash it out with, with Wizards management. But yeah, just, uh, just not, not understanding the audience uh, seems to be a problem at Wizards of the Coast and it reared its head again. So there you go. What, are, are you saying that uh, um, a, a fan favorite franchise was taken over by big business who doesn't know how it operates because they don't understand what a fan is that never happens Mm. ever you're being every single day i'm so sorry you're you're uh you're being ironic aren't you (sighs) alanis morissette would be proud is that real irony or is it alanis irony oh man i don't know i can't even tell anymore is this real life? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's All it. right. Well, that brings us to the end of our news segment, which, of course, means it's time for our A King in All Things segment. Welcome to part 27 of our 44-part series, A King in All Things, where we're watching all the Stephen King movies based on novels or novellas in order of release. 
along with the occasional extra, which this particular uh, film was one of our extras. That was your it, extra. It was mine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had fond memories of this, and I'm glad to see that uh, they weren't misplaced. Uh, we are, of course, talking about 2007's classic uh, 1408, directed by Michael Helfstrom. With a budget of $25 million, it made $125 million. So a financial success for I didn't the- realize it was that successful. Yeah, that was like in 2000s money for like a, a little horror movie. Well, not even a little horror movie. Yeah. It was a pretty big horror movie at the time. Um, yeah, it was John Cusack and, and Sam Jackson were the, the two big, big headliners. Although it's, it's very much Cusack's movie. Yeah. Although Jackson coming in with the monster performance. Oh, I know it was, uh, I was actually fairly impressed. Like, cause Sam Jackson, let's face it. He plays Sam Jackson a lot these days, you know, <laughs> like, like, uh, I, I think that's what he's hired to do a lot these days. Yeah. But I mean, all you need to do is go back and watch Pulp Fiction to, to see how nuanced and how amazing of an actor he can be. But yeah, he uh, played the manager of, of the Dolphin Hotel, which contains the room 1408. And uh, it, he was really good. He, he played a very... He was phenomenal. Yeah, he, he did a great job. Like, like uh, it, it, I forgot he could act. A, like, I, I, I'm i not going to lie. I forgot he could act because I, I just, you know, Sam Jackson plays Sam Jackson so much. And, and seeing him do something different, I was like, geez, like, yeah. You you really can't um, undersell the importance of the, the that role either because if that botches it, like, it puts the whole film off the rail. All right, all right. Well, let's go over the plot, Jonathan. Let's go over the plot. Do you want to go over the plot? Shall I go over the plot? We can both go over the plot. Okay. Uh, John Cusick plays a writer who's like sold out. Uh, he, uh, he He's kind of like the writer from- He's not sold out as much as he's just- Nah, he's, he's given up. He's sold he's out. He's given up. He's sold he, Actually, I think the writer from the Haunting of Hill House TV series is based on this character. They're very similar. And, yeah, they And are. I'm wondering if that's intentional. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he had a first novel that was, you know, by all accounts phenomenal. And people talk about the relationship with the father and the son's really good. Is that based on anything real? Like when it comes up and he's very kind of dismissive of people like that, but now he just writes, you know, 10 haunted lighthouses, 10 haunted hotels, blah. That's his gimmick. You know, he goes to haunted places. He spends the night and writes about, Ooh, it was so spooky, but yeah, he's lying. It's never spooky. He doesn't believe in any of that stuff. He gets a postcard kind of daring him to go stay in the room 1408 at the Dolphin Hotel. No, telling him not to go stay in 1408. Yeah. No, it was telling him to go there. It was daring. That was a dare. That was a dare. It's like, it's like, hey, I'm going to tell you about this specific thing that's right up your alley. Don't do it. That's, that's a dare. (laughs) But he thinks it's all a clever marketing ploy. Right, right. But they don't like want to give him the room. He has to do legal chicanery to get into the room. Uh, you know, they tell all these stories about the awful things that happened in the room. It's it's quite effective. Anyway, he gets in the room and uh, and a whole bunch of weird, surreal, spooky things happen to him. And uh, the end. <laughs> and the fun part is this is the fun part. Uh, I got the DVD from the library, which was apparently the director's cut. Uh, and you borrowed it and you got the theatrical cut and they are slightly different. And so you and I got two very different endings because of that. Cause I got the original ending that the director wanted to do before the test audiences said it was too, it was too sad and they made a happy ending, <laughs> which is the one you saw. <laughs> they say that of course, before watching the mist. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Ouch. We'll get to that. Yeah. next. We'll literally get that to next, next time, Jonathan. That's next. Oh, is that next? That is oh, next. Excuse me. Oh, wow. Is that next? <laughs> yes, that's next. I'm trying to get the beeps out of you. I already, I already show this segment. What do you want? Um, okay. That's fair. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, overall I, 
it's not uh, it's not the best thing I've seen as part of this little exploration, but it was well in the top it's of the curve. Engaging and fun and well shot, which already propels it far up the list. Yeah. I mean, let's yeah. let's not discount that. I, I don't, it is I a don't, confident, well put together I, movie. This this is my only criticism of it. And it's the same criticism I ended up having with Impossible Landscapes. It is uh, Impossible Landscapes is obviously riffing on this movie a little bit. It, well, actually I think the original adventure predated it, but then anyway, it, it's it's there. There there's there's little fingerprints in there. And much like Impossible Landscapes, as the movie goes on and weird, surreal, scary things happen to them, they kind of start losing their effectiveness because, you know, the movie gets so unground from reality that it's not scary anymore in a weird way. And that's my only complaint of it. By the end, it's just it's just like, what? <laughs> like, what could happen now? Seriously. What, what I found interesting is that it was such a mix of psychological abuse uh, you know, like with the stuff with his daughter, the stuff with his father, although I, I thought that they kind of pulled the punch, especially on the father component. I thought they could have really kind of connected that one a little bit better. Uh, it, the the other half of it being like your more traditional horror jump scares, like, you know, characters appearing behind him and things like that, which actually that was the 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 one where he's like looking at himself in the reflection from across the, yeah. the walkway. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden the guy's behind him and he turns around and the guy's behind him. Like, I thought that was brilliant. That was just such a well-executed scene. In fact, I can't point to any one scene and say that it's not well-executed, but you do raise a good point in that the sum of its parts, it starts to get a little bit watered down. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's like my only complaint, and that's fairly nitpicky. There's some really good um, camera work. Mm -hmm. There's some especially interesting camera work with um, like, you know, when when the whole thing begins, it's the director chose to do an internal shot of the key entering the lock and disengaging the locking mechanism, which I thought was a really fascinating choice. You know, it's like, oh, look, we have begun like we have activated the machine. Yeah, no, it it, it, it's quite a good movie. It's quite a good movie. Um. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to watch a spooky movie, like this is legit, pretty good. It's it's very good. I, what I also really appreciate about it is John Cusack's character up front is kind of an asshole. Like you, I d- didn't sympathize with him much at all. He's he's very much like the movie protagonist who's like going to get his comeuppance because like I don't believe in this stuff. It ain't real, ha! <laughs> and you know then it's real. But what I liked about it is they the room would give him flashbacks of earlier points in his life. And it would fill in some blanks about like why he's such a jerk face <laughs> at this point in oh, time. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was really effective. And, and he, and, and the room is using that as a weapon. Right. But it, it, it and, and which is, it's, it's a narrative device and it's a psychological weapon against the character, which is a really fascinating double usage of, of it. Yeah. And I, I really liked how I felt more sympathy for the character as it went on. Uh, yeah. Whereas up front, I was kind of rooting for him to die. <laughs> and by the end, I'm like, oh, oh, that. And it, oh, God. And it just pulls out the knife and shanks you right in the dad right at oh the end. My oh, my God. God. <laughs> oh my, it really, 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 really does. Yeah. Like, it really does. Yeah, I don't want to, like, spoil the movie. I don't want to spoil the movie. It's actually good enough yeah. that I'm like, you know what? You should probably watch it. It's, no, it's highly recommended. Highly, highly recommended. And now I'm looking at the list. And now the question becomes, of where does it go? Because it, it's it's in the top ten. Easy. I'd agree. Okay, so here's 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 my thought. We've talked, and the movie the the list is broken up into extremely good movies, 
movies that have interesting ideas, some of which work out, some of which don't work out, but are generally okay, but they maybe don't quite gel right or anything, and then, and then the garbage. And we've always kind of had the line of the movies that have interesting ideas but don't quite gel right is Pet Cemetery, and that is the the border between the good and the 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 weird. And it's to me, it's above that border. I would agree. I would the, agree. The question that I had is 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 it? It's not Stand by Me. No. So the real question is, is it better than Salem's Lot, the TV miniseries, or not? Because that's that's where I put it. Oh, God. That's actually a really tough question. It, right? That's where I'm stuck. That's where I'm stuck. Because it's clearly, clearly better than Pet Cemetery. Agreed. And and in many ways, and this is a, a big part of this is a function of when it was made versus the ideas. It's much more visually engaging. Agreed. But does Salem's Lot tell a better story? Oh man, I'm I'm split, but I'm kind of leaning towards just after Salem's Lot. But it becomes the new border between um, interesting ideas but poor execution and genuinely good. Uh, I'll allow it. I I I I I I'd have to think about that so long. I don't. I I mean, like maybe I'll get back. You could you could change my mind. It's not going to take much. I'll be honest. I I I don't I don't I don't have a reason to change your mind. I don't. Yeah, I, I I can't think of a reason to change your mind. So it, I mean, it ends up being an excellent, excellent film, regardless. Like I can't, this is one of those that that gets a really solid recommendation. It's a modern film. It doesn't have some of the misgivings of some of the older films. Um, And, you know, that's also something that you could aim at the the miniseries. The miniseries works because of the strength of the writing and the strength of the, the production, but it doesn't work because it is clearly, clearly compromised by having a 1970s budget with 1970s technology, you know? Yeah, but they really worked with what they had. I mean, I'll give they them that. They really did. They re- no, they legitimately did. But, you know, clearly this works better because even though this came out during CG times, almost all the effects are practical and they really work. Okay, so where are we putting it uh, above or below Salem's Lot? Ah, oh, man. I'll, I'll go with you. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's the new border between, okay. between <clears throat> the two, but I, I think Salem's Lot is because of the writing just a smidge better. But I mean, I, I'm talking like a hair. I agree. I think that's where I'd probably land. All right. So now that makes it eighth on our list out of 27 entries. That is now eighth. That's a good solid finish. And it is clearly in our upper echelon of movies that are legitimately good. So that puts it behind misery, Dolores Claiborne, the 1980 shining Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, Stand By Me, Salem's Lot 77, and now 1408. Followed by Pet Cemetery and Hearts of Atlantis rounding out our top 10. But clearly, there's a gulf between 8th and 9th there. There's a gulf between 1408 and Pet Cemetery. I'd even say there's also a pretty big gulf between 9 and 10. There is, absolutely. Absolutely. Nine just, Pet Cemetery just kind of exists. It's in its weird little... It's it's its own its own little zone. It, it really Herman Munster and that kid like <laughs> pushed that movie up far above where it probably should land. It's punching above its weight class. It should be clearly in the the middle the middle uh, um, spectrum of movies, but it is it, it definitely gets it gets some some performances that that allow it to punch outside of its weight class for sure. Like uh like Kathy Bates and the Water Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. 1408 uh, in the top 10, a clear winner of a film highly recommended from both of us. Uh, worth the watch, man. Worth the watch. 
And uh, next up is The Mist, which I have never seen. <laughs> oh, man. I've, I've Look, had it man, spoiled. I, no, no, no. I've had it spoiled. I, I know about the end. I know. I'm not there to tell you anything, but I'm just telling you, get prepared for the haymaker to the, the gooch of, of, of your feelings. Like, you're not coming out of there clean. I'm just saying. I, 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 I know about the end. I've had it spoiled. But <laughs> Oh, it's more than just the ending, man. It's more than just the ending. <clears throat> okay, I'll probably share this again next week, but when I was first running Delta Green back in the day, uh, somebody on the interwebs made an adventure based off of the short story, The Mist, and it was good, so I ran it. And uh, my friend Robert, the, the one who died uh, a couple of years ago now, he, uh, he went to see Dreamcatcher, Robert? Yeah, Dreamcatcher, Robert. Uh, he, he went to see the mist in the theaters and he was watching it and he, he messages me later and he's like, I just had the most Delta green experience I've ever had. I'm sitting there and I'm watching this movie. I know I've never seen before and it's oddly familiar. Like I had seen it before and I was, (laughs) and I, I couldn't place it. And it was so eerie, like knowing that I knew stuff and, but like, but I didn't, and uh, and then he and then he remembered. He's like, "Did you base that adventure off of the mist?" And I'm like, uh, "I'm like, yeah, yeah." The short story. He's like, "Oh, okay, okay, good." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. That was that was the best bit of DMing I've ever done. I got two grown men to point finger guns at each other and threaten to kill each other across the gaming table. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Well, that brings us to the end of our King and All Things. Join us next episode for The Mist. But now, now it's time for A Year in the Life. This is, of course, where we turn our look backwards a year and we look at what we were talking about in this case, in episodes 125 and 126. Robert, what was uh, on our minds? Uh, Forgot my dice, 125, like a rusty spigot. And 126, Van Helsing says a lot of things. We were doing Undaunted Reinforcements and Marvel X-Men United. Or Marvel United and X-Men. Whatever. I am having the hardest time finding uh, Undaunted, uh, the Stalingrad, the new one. Hmm. And I, I have, I've been having a hard time finding even North Africa. Like, I want all of the Undaunted because I've been enjoying that game so much. And I've just been having the devil of a time finding it. Well, that's too bad. I've played Undaunted a lot in the past year. And I would gladly play it again if you if you ever wanted to. You just say the word. <laughs> Oh, man, this is like taking me back. This was a year ago. Okay, so I'm having a hard time believing that was a year ago, man. So 125, we've got Downfall, the case against Boeing. You were reading that. I was watching the Godzilla movies the first time with my boy Miles. So Godzilla 2000, Godzilla 2014, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. A lot of Godzilla in this list. Wow, so much Godzilla. I was reading the Swedish version of Powers of Darkness. Uh, We were playing the Dracula dossier, of course, at this point. And, uh, And then 126... Uh, we've got Dracula in Istanbul, so the the Turkish edition of Dracula. <laughs> I remember that one. More more versions of Godzilla. Uh, all the Hellraiser movies. I think that's when Brendan watched all of them. He was talking to us about it. Uh, You're playing Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga. Uh, Moon Knight was out. Uh, oh, I was watching Steins Gate and Robotics Notes. Those are very good animes if you're into that type of thing. I really yeah, enjoyed I, them. I would love to watch them. I just have had so little time for TV lately. Yeah, yeah. Legitly, Steins Gate is one of the best time travel things I've ever seen. It's really good. And Robotics Notes, uh, it's kind of like a, a high school Dawson's Creek style drama. But then you add what? on an anime that takes place in high school. Surely not. But then you add on this layer of, of giant robots fighting, but trying to be realistic about it. It's fascinating. <laughs> you had me a giant robots. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's quite good. 
There's supposed to be an Armored Core coming uh, game coming out this year, and I'm I'm all about it. And we watched uh, the Dark Half and the Lawnmower Man. <laughs> Still feeling the sting of the second half of that equation. <laughs> Just saying. Oh wow, that was a wow! What a wow! Yeah, talk about coming into the bathroom, needing to go, opening it up, and going, "Oh man, who left the giant explosive turd bomb?" <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. That's that movie in a nutshell. All right, I'm going to go cleanse my palate. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah, that's enough. Sometimes looking back is good. You just made it bad. <laughs> we should watch oh, Lawnmower Man that- too, man. We should watch Job's War. Oh, oh, I will if you want to. I'm in. You know, I can't say no to a bad movie, but I'm afraid. I'm living <laughs> in fear. I'm not going to lie. Well, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of our year in the life segment, which, of course, does mean it is, in fact, break time. And when we return, it will be time for our deep dive. And today we'll be deep diving gizmos. So we'll be join us in just a moment when we return. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And on tonight's show, we are deep diving gizmos. The smartest minds of our generation are gathering together at the Great Science Fair. Everyone's been working hard on their creations, but only one will be crowned champion. Contestants have to think on the fly to build their machines quickly and efficiently. In gizmos, you win the game by gaining victory points from building engines, and engines help you get things done faster. Whoever builds the greatest machine and collects the most victory points wins. Jonathan, tell me how that plays. It all starts with setup. Everybody gets a dashboard. The dashboards um, are, well, the, the, it, you have to include the first player dashboard because it, it's kind of the way the game gets kicked off. Everybody gets an energy storage ring, which is where you'll be placing energy because the ultimate uh, aim of the game is to construct gizmos. And you construct gizmos with energy that is dispensed by this really nifty little 3D dispenser. Um, And depending on the the version of the game you have, it might be built out of cardboard or it might be built out of plastic. Um, The second edition, which was recently released, now has a plastic dispenser. You know, when when we talk about this dispenser, you really kind of think potion explosion. But instead of having multiple channels, you only have one channel. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right now on the uh, the board game geeks. Yeah, you throw the marbles in, and that kind of helps keep everything nice and um, you know shuffled up, so you never know what's going to come out next. Uh, and then you have uh, cards, and and this is where the similarities to um, and you know I'm a big fan of this game. Splendor really begin. Uh, you have cards uh, that you lay out in three different tiers. There's tier one, tier two, and tier three. And these cards represent the gizmos that you're going to be building. And really, that's the, the, the crux of the game is, yeah, this is uh, very much an engine builder. The level one gizmos are very, very cheap. They generally only take one uh, energy of any particular color to purchase and install on your dashboard. Uh, the level two um, tend to be two or three uh, energy to purchase. And then the level three ones are anywhere from uh, four to seven energy to purchase. As you progress through the game, uh, the name of the game here really is combo construction because there is no limit to how long your turn will go if you have enough gizmos so that you can create a long form combo. 
So let's talk about how you play the game. There's really only four actions in the games. Uh, action number one is going to be filing. That is when you place uh, a face-up gizmo card from any row in your particular display area, and you put it in your archive. And the archive, very similar to in Splendor, is an area where you can take a couple of different things, um, or a couple of different uh, cards, uh, which is going to be restricted by your, your player dashboard, but can be upgraded based on the gizmos that you purchase. And that's kind of like, think of it like your personal store. There's picking, where you can actually pick up one of the... Um, uh, energies, which is, uh, you know, basically the, the currency of the game. And when you first start the game, you're going to have a storage limit of five. But again, some of the gizmos that you purchase throughout the game are going to let you upgrade that. Like uh, in my current game uh, with Dale Online, uh, I'm, I have my storage limit set all the way up to nine right now. You're going to be able to build, which is where you take uh, any face-up gizmo card from either the display area or your personal archive, and you spend the energy uh, from your, your storage ring to basically install that gizmo into your dashboard. And then there is researching. And researching is where you choose a face-down uh, level 1, level 2, or level 3 card, and you draw a number of cards equal to your research amount, which again, it's going to start out at one level on your uh, dashboard, but can be modified based on the gizmos that you own. And you look at them, choose one, and then you get to um, you get to either build it or file it, depending on what you want to do. So, make sense so far? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, the, the name of the game really is Combos, Combos, Combos. That's really what you want to uh, be thinking of. The game, I think, refers to it as a chain reaction. As you build, the different cards are going to give you different powers. Some are going to be as benign as, oh, if you take a blue... Uh, energy from your uh, from the, the the general store, you also get to take a random one, which will be the next thing that rolls out. Sometimes they get to be more specific, like, hey, you now have the capability of holding uh, plus one on in terms of your energy stores, or your archive gets to be plus one, things like that. Also, oftentimes, they will also have uh, different effects, like enhancing building actions or uh, triggering upon a build action and things like that. So, for instance, the example that they give in the manual is real clear. Uh, you, Heather performs a build action, and they spend three atomic energy to build an atomic gizmo for their archive. This triggers two of their build gizmos, one that gives a victory point token and one that allows them to pick an extra energy type from the energy row. And then maybe when you pick the energy row, that triggers a gizmo that will allow you to take two energy when you are building from the archive. And they happen to build something from their archive. So it's combo, 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 combo. And that means that when you first get started, it feels like your turns are nothing, right? You're, you're doing one thing, maybe two things. And then by the end of the game, if you built a really good, robust engine, uh, you can take a turn that has seven, eight, nine, ten actions in it. And that really is the crux of the game. Uh, ultimately, the, the way you score, when any player builds their fourth level three gizmo, so that highest tier of the gizmos, or your 16th gizmo total in your machine, uh, they trigger endgame. Then you're going to calculate your score by adding victory points. And victory points come from the gizmos themselves. They have a, a victory point total written on the card. Uh, and oftentimes, the gizmos that you trigger uh, will have the ability to get you another victory point token, 
and those are added in, and that is the in, in, um, totality of your points. It's all of your gizmos plus any point tokens that you've acquired uh, in most points wins. If you get tied, uh, the person with the most gizmos in their active area wins, and if you're still tied, uh, the person with the most energy left in your energy storage wins, and if it's still tied, the player furthest from the first player going clockwise wins, which again is why it's so important that when you're first setting up those dashboards, you always include the first player dashboard. Is that it? That's it. But much like Splendor, it's super easy to teach, but it's just so, so deep because there's so many different combos that you can build and there's so many different ways to construct your particular machine to to basically like try and trigger combos, try and get yourself in a position where you're um, where you're, you're capitalizing off of um, basically turn efficiency, right? Making the most out of your turn because you've, you've got the most gizmos in place that, that allow you to, to do that, but also balancing that out with the need for buying gizmos that are netting you victory points so that you win at the end. It's a good push-pull in that respect. So how does the rulebook do explaining all that? Well, as you can imagine, it's not particularly long because there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, the, the rule book itself is about four pages and there's a lot of that is taken up by, uh, really nicely drawn out, um, uh, diagrams showing you how things interact. And this is especially important as you start to look at the way things combo out and whatnot. So yeah, it's a, it's a good rule book. It, uh, lays it out very plainly, gives a really good example of, of a good setup area, uh, and, and how to lay it all out. And it has some really good play examples that really help to clarify some of the, um, more persnickety points of the rules. So I'm looking at the, uh, the hopper and stuff I'm trying to find a picture of what looks to be the plastic one. Cause I can't find they, it. They look almost identical. The plastic is just the bottom mm. and then it has a cardboard wraparound. Uh, okay. So they end up looking very, very similar. But how, how about this? How are, how are the, uh, how are the components? The components are fine. The cardboard punch outs, which are going to be your dashboards and your energy storage rings are about what you'd expect. I mean, it's pretty standard cardboard. The the, the cardboard trough that you throw, roll all of the energies into um, is really, really good. I have seen the first uh, the first generation one, and I've played with the second generation one. And the, the plastic dispenser is a welcome change because, it, you know, as that cardboard wears down and gets softer, um, I've seen people complaining that their energy dispenser doesn't work quite right. The, the plastic one's a good solid uh, fix for that. Yeah, I found a picture of it. Yeah, uh, the when you say the bottom, it's like the 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 part that would get worn down because that's where all the marbles mm-hmm. are. The the cardboard bit is just uh, the container that holds the marbles. Yeah, but in the first generation one, it's it's both. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of cardboard. Is there anything off in the execution of this game? Not at all. It's 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 interesting. It's it's like if Potion Explosion and Splendor had a baby. That's that's the way I would describe it. And what is the recommended player count? Um, so I played it, uh, I believe it goes up to four players. And I've played it with two players and I've played it with four players. And it works on all accounts because much like Splendor, it, it's about how you manufacture your, your personal machine. You're, there's not a whole lot of interacting with the other player except for when you purchase something that somebody else might want. That's that's about the extent of player interaction. All right, Jonathan. Uh, is there anything else about this game that you've forgotten to tell us? Because this is your time to shine, my friend. Yeah, this much like Splendor or Potion Explosion before it, um, which which this very much shares heavy DNA with, this is a really fun and exciting 
game that's good to have around for when you have those those friends over that have never done kind of a higher end uh, board game before. It's easy to grasp. It's easy to have a lot of fun with, and yet there's a lot of depth in there to, to chew into, even for your your you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? More invested gamer. It's a whole lot of bang for the buck as well. It's not a particularly uh, expensive game. I mean, it, it retails for thirty nine ninety five, um, and and you you know, there's just a lot of strategy there for for that small of an amount of money. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's one of those really good, solid gateway games that, um, is also three-dimensional and, and present on the table in a way that, that interacts, that, that people can grasp and interact with. And that I think lets it kind of engage higher than it, it normally would. All right. That is Gizmos by Simon Game, Simon Global Limited, according to this, but Simon Games, uh, probably available at your FLGS because of that, I would assume. Yeah, it's FLGS and Amazon does currently have it in stock. And yeah, like it, it, this is it's a fun little game. Like I just I, every time I played it, I've, I've had a blast with it. Thank you to Dale for turning me on to it. You had me at like Potion Explosion. Yeah, it's it's it really is. It's it's if Splendor and Potion Explosion had a baby, this would be it. And it plays fast, too. Like most games oh, I played in the physical version are like 30, 30 to 40 minutes. It's not at my local library. Maybe I should recommend it for purchase. I recommended to for them to purchase uh, the new editions of Acquire and uh, you know the, the the Renegade Games games that they got from Hasbro, and yeah. uh, they turned me down because they said they're not out yet. <laughs> they're, they're like, but I'll uh, I'll look into adding in the list in August when they come out. And I'm like, yeah, nice. <laughs> All right, Robert. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode, which means it's uh, closing thoughts time. Uh, once again, thank you all so much for joining us for episode 142 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Uh, all of our digital domains are open for business. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Discord definitely has been seeing the most action as of late. Uh, Robert, any final thoughts? Yeah, so 1408 and In the Mouth of Madness have one thing in common. They both feature the Carpenter song, We've Only Just Begun. And I'm like wondering, what is it about people I'm assuming of a similar age of John Carpenter and, and the guy who directed uh, 1408 that including that song in a movie to be creepy is something like they sought to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it like, is it like pushing? Because I, I, I literally know nothing about the Carpenters, but I'm assuming they were kind of folksy and stuff. So is it like sort of inverting what they're known for? Like, what is it about that song that's creepy and, and makes situations uh, I, creepy? I think, I mean, I've seen several movies use old songs um, in creepy ways. I don't think it's a function of the song inherently. I think any song could be made creepy as long as it has the right hook and the right lyrics. Uh, what's the movie that came out? It was a Neil Jordan movie. Um, with Robert Downey Jr., he was the serial killer. Uh, oh, for crying out loud. I, what was I don't remember. I never saw that one. In Dreams. In Dreams. With um, Robert Downey Jr. and Annette Bening were the, the two big stars. They use um, a Roy Orbison song in it repeatedly and make it really, really creepy, even though the song itself is rather benign. But it's how they utilize it, and it's how they um, drop it in. They use In Dreams by, by Roy Orbison. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. 
The funny part is, uh, I, I watched, because uh, I had the DVD, I had some of the alternate endings, and one of the alternate endings is straight up copies in the Mouth of Madness, because the guy's a writer, like a book he writes while he's, you know, in the room, essentially, gets out, and it's implied that the evil gets out along with it, and I'm like, that's like the end of In the Mouth of Madness, and they both use the carpenters, like, <laughs> what is it? What is it? I don't know. What is it about that headspace? I don't get it. But there's something there. Go listen to the carpenters. Creep yourself out, I guess. That's my final thought. All right. Fair enough. Well, then that brings us to the, the very last thing that we always do, and that is to be excellent to one another, Robert, and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 